0: Good morning, everybody. What's so funny? Anybody else out there wearing an ugly Christmas sweater? Anybody? No, just me? I see Jackson. Jackson's repping. Thank you, Jackson. It's a wonderful time of the year. I love this. Actually, I was reminded this morning uh, when I was talking about ugly Christmas sweaters, my son gently reminded me that it's not nice to call things ugly. So, special Christmas sweaters. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh man, it's so good to see everybody uh, in worship today. I'm so glad you made it to church. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny, and I get to serve as the lead pastor for this worship community called The Well here at First Methodist Mansfield. It has been a great morning of worship in both of our our spaces. I got to spend a little time upstairs in the cafe and then get to be down here as well. Just so thankful for our worship teams leading us in this time. Uh, I'm going to try to not mess that up by leading us in a little brief message, uh, and then we're going to close by sharing in a time of uh, Holy Communion. sacred uh, moment, that sacrament, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I'm going to try to get out of the way and let that, that happen. So I hope you're uh, making sure to be here for that and not leave uh, early just because the sermon's not that good. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas. It's the Christmas season, the lights, the sounds, the, the smells, the the traditions, the, the music, the movies. I mean, this season, it's the only season, it's the only holiday that has its own music genre, right? That's amazing. And it's got its own sweaters, which are awesome as well. And we just, we love this time of year. And her, here at First Methodist Mansfield, we want to fully embrace all that the season brings. Just The joy and the wonder and and the fun that comes along with it. Uh, I hope you felt that on our campus as you walked down here, especially if this is your first time here. And and our hope is that for you and your family as well, that you're finding special ways to celebrate uh, this season together. Christmas means so many things to so many people. So, what we want to do is, in addition to that, we want to add. Um, some things for you. A couple words that we want to highlight over the course uh, of this Advent season, over this Christmas season, as we prepare to celebrate the greatest gift the world has ever known. We want, we want four words to focus on uh, for you and your family uh, as well. Four words that we believe represent this, these enormous gifts that God has given us. Four words for us that we believe are at the heart of the Christmas story. Last week we looked at the first of those words, which was hope. And this week, uh, we're going to look at the second one, one we've already referenced in in our services today, and that word is joy. Christmas is the season of joy. It's got Songs that make you smile and dance the second they come on, you can think of that song right now in your head that you know the second it comes on, that's your Christmas jam, right? Like, and you can't stop. Donny Hathaway's This Christmas is mine, man. Like, you just, if you've never heard that song, you're going to have to Google that later. But as soon as that song comes on, Can't Hold Still, Gotta Dance, Gotta Sing, I just love that song. Movies that you can recite by heart. Uh, A friend of mine goes to this uh, service, uh, has every year since I've known him posted a quote from Christmas vacation on his Facebook each day leading up to. That's my kind of advent calendar, right? Like, (laughs) I love that. Thank you, Rand, for doing that. Please keep doing that for the rest of your life. Uh, Bill Murray's Scrooged, though. That's mine. I just, I feel like I could quote that all day. I won't hear because it's incredibly inappropriate, but it is so... (laughs) Funny, I just love that. For those of you, it's Elf, maybe, Home Alone, or, you know, it could be It's a Wonderful Life, if, if you're, I don't know, I don't know, I don't get it, I don't get it, It's a Wonderful Life. I, don't th- I think it's because it doesn't have color, like, I don't get it. My eyes, do- my millennial eyes don't see it, like, what is happening? What is this? Um... See, it's already off the rails. The sermon's just off the rails already. It's a sweater, someone did it. What we want to do today is look at a piece of scripture that really, I I think, just gets into this really beautiful expression of this deep, true joy that we find at Christmas. A joy that transcends all things and a joy that gives strength to our faith. So we're going to do that today. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, we have blue ones in both spaces, uh, and you can find uh, Luke chapter 1. We got a uh, page number on the screen for you. Or if you have a smartphone, there's an app called The Bible, um, which you could also use. makes it pretty easy to find those as well. Last week, we looked at a piece of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew from Joseph's perspective, right? And we said that the Gospel of Luke tells this Christmas story mostly from Mary's perspective. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. We're actually going to look at a pretty large chunk so if you do have a Bible, I, I encourage you to open. It's going to help you follow along. Uh, but we're looking at a pretty large chunk of this story from Mary's perspective. And at this point in the story, Mary has now found out from the angel that she is going to be pregnant with Jesus. And when she does that, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And some translations of the Bible, or you may have grown up knowing that that was her cousin. The the Greek there really does just translate to relative, a uh, relation of some sort. So they are related though, which is the important part, and she's going to go visit her. Elizabeth, who also happens to be pregnant just a few months before, um, before Mary with a miracle baby, who will grow up to be known as John the Baptist, right? So they come, and this is actually the first meeting of John and Jesus, right? They just don't know it. They come together, and they meet, and they chat, and then Mary, uh, Mary sings a song, it's a poem. It's a be- one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture, uh, and it's called the Magnificat. We'll get to that in just a little bit. You don't really need to know that, um, but it, it's just a beautiful piece that's going to really express this, this deep, true joy for us. Everybody found it? We're all here? Good. Let's go. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. For she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And in response to that, Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I love that piece of scripture. Every time I read that, um, I have to remind myself. Most scholars uh, tend to believe uh, that Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, was somewhere between 10 and 14 years old at the time this all takes place. Does that shock you and startle you a little bit? It does me. It startles me every time I'm reminded of that. It doesn't startle me because uh, at age, you know, Uh, 10 to 14, that she was uh, engaged to be married or that that she might be pregnant um, with child. In the ancient world, when the average life expectancy was around 34 or 35, this is quite normal. It was not uncommon for people to get married and start producing babies as soon as possible, right? Like that's, they didn't have much time, so that's what they had to do. Rather, what really shocks me uh, about this is the magnitude of this moment that is placed on this young girl. How how huge this news had, how frightening that news must have been. No wonder she ran to a relative's house to seek solace. I mean, just an amazing weight on the shoulders of somebody like Mary, a, a barely a teenager, engaged to be married, and from Nazareth, which was a nowhere place on the world scale. So, On this world scale, we have this nobody from nowhere, and yet she carries the Savior of the world in her. This would be overwhelming for anyone, I would think, but especially someone that young. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Like, I don't know if you're like me at all, but when somebody hands me a baby, like, I panic. I love babies. Once they're nestled in there, it's all fine. But like the transfer process, like I panic. I feel like I'm just going to break it or something. I don't know like where you hold it and like what. I don't understand. And I can't even imagine if at the time they're handing it to me, they go, oh, by the way, this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, also the Son of God. So like don't mess this up. Like, you know, here. And it starts crying and then you don't know what to do with it and I have to hand it back. I can't imagine I can't imagine being the one that has to bear that child, birth that child, raise that child, understanding that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is in your care. It's an amazing thing. And on top of that, like she had to know the social implications of what was happening. The way people might think or, or, or talk about her behind her back, what people might say to her, to her relatives or her family, or what her husband-to-be Joseph might think, would he believe her? Would he have faith as well? What will he think? An incredible amount of pressure, incredible amount of stress and anxiety I would imagine would come with this burden, this, the magnitude of what was taking place in Mary's life, and yet, and yet Mary rejoices. She sings these words, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She has this unspeakable, unfathomable joy. But how? Where does that come from? I think the beautiful thing about Mary's song is what it teaches us about true joy the word joy much like the word hope that we talked about last week i think is a is a commonly misunderstood word in our faith and and it's understandable because of the way we use it in our everyday language in our life we often mistake joy For happiness. We we make them one in the same. Maybe maybe joy is like hyper happiness, right? Like you you picture that movie inside out and you picture the joy character that's just you know really obnoxious. Like joy is like the obnoxious version of happy, right? Like it's what we kind of think of joy in that way. But happy is is an emotion. It's an emotion, it's dependent on circumstances, it's it's fragile and fleeting. Happy shows up in the places where you would expect it to show up, right? When good things happen. When things are good in your life, you are happy. So when there is a lack of those things, there is a lack of happiness, right? Joy comes and goes with our circumstances. That's, or happy comes and goes with our circumstances, not joy. Happy comes and goes with our circumstances because happy is an emotion. It's something we feel when things are good. Joy, on the other hand, is not an emotion, Joy is a disposition. Joy is a way of being. So where happiness is dependent on our circumstances, joy, on the other hand, transcends our circumstances. It's a disposition that we carry with us into our circumstances. I'll tell you this week as I was wrestling with this sermon I probably would have wrestled with it anyways, but it was just a, a weird week to really be wrestling with this word, meditating on this word, praying about this word, uh, what what joy means and and how it's received, how we experience it in our life. Just over the past month, I, I have presided over, over three weddings, and I just did one uh, this past weekend uh, on Friday, I think. Uh, three weddings, and then there was a uh, a vow renewal that I got to do right after Thanksgiving for a couple who was celebrating that day their 50th wedding anniversary. Just a incredible, these are incredibly beautiful moments filled with joy to, to see uh, the groom this past Friday as as he sees his bride for the first time all dressed in her dress and, you know, all pretty. It just to see his face light up, he can't help it. Like it just smiles and it's just a beautiful thing to witness and to be a part of, and and for that vow renewal to be up there and to to see this couple celebrating on the very day, 50 years ago, that they made this vow, this commitment uh, to one another, celebrating those 50 years and and committing to as many more years as they have, and doing that while accompanied with their children and their grandchildren, to see how that love is passed down generation to generation, how they set an example, just an amazing experience that I get to be a part of as a pastor. But while I was thinking about those joyful moments, I was also reminded about some of the things that have happened recently that aren't quite so happy and wondering how joy fits there as well. Today at two o'clock, if you don't know, we have our annual remembrance service, which is planned by our grief recovery team. It's a beautiful tradition that we have where those that have lost a loved one and want to remember them at Christmas time can come and uh, do this sacred work of celebrating a life in the midst of this season and remembering what, what life looks like now as it might look a little different. And it's a celebration of life, but it's also a reminder of the limits of it and to wonder what joy looks like in the midst of that service and in those circumstances. This past Saturday, uh, a week ago, I attended a funeral of a young man in his 20s. Uh, He grew up in this church. I I knew him when I was in youth ministry here. Um, And I know his mother and his friends very well. And his life ended suddenly and tragically. And now his family is moving forward knowing that in so many ways, this Christmas is going to look and feel so much different. What does joy have to say about that? Where is joy present in the midst of that? I'm also reminded of a a young mom in our church whose life took an unexpected turn over the the course of the past few days. Um, She was in church last weekend feeling totally healthy, but found herself in surgery on Wednesday to remove a tumor in her brain that was discovered only days before friends of somebody in, in our small group uh, that we've been praying for. And I'm reminded of these situations and uh, I'm pondering them and, and praying about them and, and also wrestling with this word joy and, and, and having my own understanding of what joy means, but then wondering like, God, how, where does this joy fit in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of trial, in the midst of hurt and suffering and pain? Like where does joy in that, when we speak of joy in this Christmas season, how, God? And I say all those things, and I, and I look around this room, and I, I, I've seen everybody upstairs, and I know that those stories are multiplied throughout these seats. People experiencing in some way or another their own brokenness in their life, their own hurt, some, something they struggle with, their own tragedies, their own crisis. And I think about joy, and I wonder where is our word? Where is, where is our joy? Where does our joy come from? And it would be so easy and trite for me to get up here as a pastor and regurgitate the same joy vomit, you know, that, that we might do or might be tempted to do year after year at Christmas time, where we talk about the joy of the Lord, and it's just, you know, we present it in such a way as if you're just are supposed to pretend like everything is fine. Like, don't ruin everybody else's Christmas with your life, right? Like, be joyful, Worry about it later. Just pretend, even though you don't actually feel it, just fake it till you make it. But I can't do that. Because I think to do that is to miss on such an insane level, to miss the deeper meaning of joy, the significance of the word joy and the way we see joy presented to us in the scriptures as coming out of the mouths of those rejoicing in God, even in the midst of great suffering, even in the midst of lament, in good times and and bad times, people rejoicing in the Lord. What does that look like? For us, how do we find this joy that is not so fleeting and fragile as is happiness, but that resides deep within our souls, thanks to the person of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas? Where is that joy? I want to start by saying that joy, not being an emotion, but being a disposition, joy stands opposed to what often defines our lives. The things that come up in us, the things that we experience that often become the defining moments, the defining emotions in our lives, joy stands directly opposed to many of those things. The Magnificat is what we call this song that, that Mary sings. That's not what Mary called it, it's just what we called it later. Uh, the Latin there, Magnificat, means uh, Magnifies. That's what it means. In, in early translations of this, when, uh, when Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my soul glorifies God. It used to say, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. It magnifies God. Which leads us to this question, what are the things that we magnify in our own lives? Where do we, what do we place as primary when they come up? What are the things that when we experience them, we magnify them? We take that feeling, we take that emotion, we take that experience and we blow it up to be this huge meaning maker for us in our life. I'll tell you what I see most of the time and what I experience most of the time are things like anxiety and worry and stress Those are the things we tend to latch on and magnify in our own lives. And we tend to act out of those things. We act out of our anxiety. We act out of our worry, out of our stress, out of our anger. We act out of those things. Those are the things we choose to hold on to and magnify in our life. And what's ironic is those are the things that tend to turn up the most at Christmas time, the season of joy. What are the things that we magnify in our life? Because if we're magnifying things other than God, if we're magnifying things other than the hope that we find in Christ, other than God in our lives, we find things turned into bitterness or turned into entitlement, which steals our joy. It darkens that light that's in our life that's deep down in there that comes from God. When we focus on our anger, it can turn to bitterness. That darkens the joy. When, we've, when, we've, when we don't know how to be gra- uh, uh, grateful, when we lose gratitude, it turns into entitlement. And we, we stop celebrating it, and we stop appreciating the gifts that we have and the blessings that we have in our life. And that dampens the joy in our life. But when we find that joy, when we rest on that, when we magnify the hope that we find in Christ that comes from God, when we magnify that in our life, that's when joy can appear. But joy is not like happiness in that you can pursue it and, and achieve it, right? It's not something that can be achieved. Joy is something that is actually received instead. And that comes by cultivating it, by creating fertile ground in our souls. We receive it, and we do that by making a way for it to get to us. Right? We can say it this way. Joy is about opening a way so that the glory of God gets to us. We create space for that, and we do that, I believe, through gratitude. Gratefulness. What gratefulness does, what gratitude does, is it softens the soil of our hearts, of our, of our souls. Pastor Sharon preached on this a couple weeks ago, and it's just a beautiful sermon that I need to be reminded of almost daily to seek out that gratitude that softens the soil of my heart so that it opens a way for God to move and for me to find that joy again, to receive it. And when I say gratitude, I, I don't mean glossing over or, or ignoring problems. I don't mean shoving them under the rug and pretending that they don't exist. Rather, what I mean is that graceful, uh, gratefulness, gratitude, what that does is it sharpens our vision so that we might still see God at work in the world, no matter what our circumstance is. See, this moves beyond circumstance. Even in the worst of times, as we practice gratitude, it sharpens our vision so that we can see that God is still at work in the world and in our lives. And when we do that, that fosters that hope that we talked about last week. And when we foster hope, it cultivates that that soil, that ground in our life, and therein we find joy. It begins to grow in us. And we begin to stay oriented toward God, the person of Christ, and the hope that we find therein. If you were to read the rest of the Gospel of Luke, joy is a reoccurring theme throughout Luke. There's joy in the annunciations of the angels and in the births of both John the Baptist and of Jesus that you find in the first two chapters. But joy also recurs in the joy of forgiveness that we see as it's extended to people that thought they were beyond it. There's a joy in the healings that take place for those that thought they were beyond healing. There's there's joy that's found in the inclusion of those that were once deemed unworthy to be included in God's will, in God's purposes, in God's promise. When Jesus steps beyond those boundaries and includes those that have been excluded, there is joy that is found. There's joy in the raising of the dead. All of this throughout Jesus' ministry. And even when we land at the end of the gospel, the disciples appropriately return to Jerusalem with joy to praise God in the temple. They do all of this because God's redemptive work has given them hope. And it brings joy to their lives. And it does to ours as well. So when we walk through this Christmas season, when we walk through this Advent season, day after day, week after week, anticipating that day where we celebrate the greatest gift the world has ever known, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we do so with a heart of gratitude. Embracing and experiencing all that this season has, all that it comes with, but also remembering remembering that the joy that comes only from the hope found in Christ Jesus. And that's the true reason for the season. What a bad cliche that was. That's my hope for you, though, that as we walk these days and, and, you, and you're praying with your family and you're, and you're meeting people and you're, you're experiencing the joys of the season, or for those of you that might be walking through the worst Christmas of your life, that we find ways to cultivate joy by practicing gratitude so that we might fully embrace the joy of the Lord that is made possible, that is made possible by the hope that we find in Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we thank you for this time to gather today. We thank you for the hope found in your son Jesus and we thank you God, for the joy that resides within us us that comes only from you. We pray, God, that each and every day of this season that our eyes are fixed on you, that we are practicing gratitude, God, that way we are cultivating the ground, the soil of our hearts where joy might grow. A joy that grows so big and so beautiful, God, that it pours out of our lives. It cannot be contained, but must be shared so that others may experience that joy as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.